Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together. To debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Apparently some workers in New York City think Mayor de Blasio is trash. And Congressman Adam had a shift erection. Next on Vince and Jason Save the Nation. We don't want any more black pastors coming in here or other Jesse Jackson, whoever was in, was in here earlier this week. Attitude of the great Negro at the time, pitcher in the Negro League. Back up! <laughs> hey, got a little present for the mayor! Uh, into inciting an erection, uh, insurrection, which he did. Two different classes of people. If you're vaccinated or if you're unvaccinated, you have all these rights. If you are vaccinated... That is what it is, so, yep. Clearly killing Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Vince and Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Coast. Welcome back to Vince and Jason Save the Nation. On a Friday, we're going to take a look at all the clips that are getting chattered about this week, and we'll do some chattering about them. I'm Vince Galanese. He's Jason Nichols. Jason, what are we looking at today? So today, there's a whole lot going on, but first, we know there's the trial over the murder or killing of Ahmad Arbery, and the McMichael uh, son, father and son, are on trial right now, and mm-hmm. their defense attorney had an interesting request of the judge. So let's take a look. Over 100. Uh, and uh, the idea that we're going to be serially bringing these people in to sit with the victim's family one after another, obviously, there's only so many pastors they can have. And if their pastor's Al Sharpton right now, that's fine. But then that's it. We don't want any more black pastors coming in here or other Jesse Jackson, whoever was in, was in here earlier this week, sitting with the victim's family, trying to influence a jury in this case. And I'm not saying the state is even aware that Mr. Sharpton was in the courtroom. I certainly wasn't aware of it till last night. But I think the court can understand my concern uh, about bringing people in who really don't have any ties to this case other than political interests. What do you think about this request to keep black pastors uh, out <laughs> of the audience uh, during this trial. I think it's a little overly broad, don't you think? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you gotta keep every black pastor. I mean, I guess if the family wants the support of a pastor, regardless of their skin color, uh, then they should, they're probably entitled to have that person sit next to them in a trial. I don't, I don't see that as being objectionable. If he had only narrowed his focus to Al Sharpton and said, hey, maybe having Al Sharpton in the room will lead to prejudicing the jury we shouldn't you know like it should only be based on the evidence that's in front of them i could see that argument but being like broadly like no black pastors that's a hell of a a way to to uh i I don't really know what he's trying to accomplish other than to embarrass himself yeah i'm I'm not even sure why you would even zero in on al sharpton and he said he wasn't even aware al sharpton was in the audience uh so i'm not so sure that even trying to bar Al Sharpton, you know, uh, from you know a public trial, is you know if, if there's even a strong argument for that. Um, but certainly, when you <laughs> say you don't want any black pastors, and when you successfully made it so you almost had no black jurors, and the judge said that this was prejudicial and discriminatory, uh, I, I think that this is kind of ironic. Um, and that's being kind about it. You know, I, th- I think it's downright. He has uh, a way he's trying to get these people off in southeastern Georgia. And it's a way that probably people have been got have gotten off for for those kinds of crimes in, in Georgia before in the past. And I think he's trying to follow that playbook. Keeping black pastors out of the courtroom, you think? <laughs> well, I, I think it's uh, keeping black people off of the jury. Oh, uh- yeah, is, is a major so, part. Can I and ask also you a question try, about this? Trying not to make people seem sympathetic, I think. Trying to make this Black victim, he's trying to make Ahmad Arbery seem like an aggressive person. So, of course, you don't want to have pastors that support him. You don't want a whole lot of people there that seem like they care about him, family and friends mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, pastors mm-hmm. from around the country, because that makes him a sympathetic victim. 
what they want is to make him seem like he's a criminal, a potentially criminal, violent black person who came and attacked these men and they shot him in self-defense. That's what they're trying to paint. And they're leaning on old images uh, that probably a lot of people have about black people and, and young black men. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to get across. Gotcha. Well, I did, for one, it seems like the prosecution here, excuse me, the defense has a, a lousy case. Uh, and based on, you know, everything I've seen out of the trial and, and kind of that original body cam footage that reveals the shifting stories uh, that the McMichaels were telling about why they were even pursuing Ahmaud Arbery in a pickup truck with guns, you know, this, these claims that, well, he'd been responsible for multiple robberies. Do they know that? Actually, no, they don't, you know, and then they said he was, he stole something from a construction site. Oh, really? Did you see him steal anything from the site? Actually, no, we didn't. And so the, the stories keep changing. The credibility keeps changing, is, is, uh, is obviously exposed as wanting. And um, the way this case seems to be going, at least from an outsider's perspective, is that these guys will probably very likely be found guilty of murdering Ahmad Arbery, uh, whatever the, however those trial those charges um, uh, actually go. And so, yeah, I just think that like that that original thing, you know, about Al Sharpton, I'm not surprised that somebody would object to that. Um, and I don't think it has to be about race as much as it is about you know Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton you know, where he goes, so goes spectacle. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised that a, that a lawyer would seek to keep him from the trial so as not yeah. to, to create spectacle, you know what I mean? But this is already a high profile case. And as he said, he wasn't even aware Al Sharpton was there. It's not like Al Sharpton was creating a spectacle. He was sitting next to the family quietly. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think this is really about trying to make it seem like Ahmad Arbery was a violent, aggressive person and doesn't have people who care about him. Can I ask you a question? Can I, let me ask you a question about this jury composition stuff, because sure. it comes up a lot and, and I, I'm intrigued by your answer. So when um, <clears throat> my gut instinct for like a jury is that it should be based on like the evidence that's presented to you, right? Like what you look at, what you consume and whether or not you think you know, as you listen to the prosecution, the defense, the jury instruction, the way the judge explains what the charges are and how you consider whether or not somebody actually did violate the law, that it should be irrelevant, the, the color of the skin of the member of the jury, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the way that you talk about it, you're not alone in this. You think it's highly relevant, the color of the, um, of the skin of the jury members. And just help me understand why that should be important, an important consideration when we compose a jury. So I'm not saying that it should be a an important uh, consideration. It's just when you recognize that a, a, a jury is supposed to be composed of the community right, and representative of the community and the state. Now, in that part of Georgia, my understanding is that it's uh, like a quarter black and the defense did everything they could to eliminate black jurors. It's not the fact that this was some sort of happenstance. It was, we wanna eliminate black jurors. We wanna is there something that look a particular way. Is there something that explicit that you're aware of that they, that they did uh, during jury so, selection? So I, uh, what I do know is what the judge said. And the judge said that he thought that that was the case. Oh, okay. um, said that it was pretty clear that they were uh, trying to make out a jury that would be favorable to them. And this was, you know, based on uh, racial considerations. So I, okay. I'm, you know, I, I'm with you if I, I personally think a jury should be diverse. Um, we, I don't think that some billionaire should be tried by a jury of nothing but billionaires. <laughs> like, I think that that's kind of a, a troubling thought. I think juries should uh, be diverse members of the community. Um, and that's what's meant by a jury of your yeah. peers. Yeah. It doesn't mean people that look like you necessarily, or people uh, who have the same economic background or the same race. Right. It should be a multitude of people from the community and should be diverse and represent the interests of the community and the yeah, state. I understand the that. state but... versus the McMichaels. It's not Ahmad Arbery versus the McMichaels. It's right. the state. And uh, so to have it 
where it doesn't represent the surrounding community, and we can talk about this in Kenosha even, uh, I think that that is a little bit troubling when you don't have a, a strong represent, you know, representation of the composition of the community. It should have men, it should have women, it should have you know, people from various economic backgrounds. And if the community is racially diverse, it should have people of uh, different racial backgrounds as well. So that's my understanding. I'll just say, um, speaking now, you know, seems like there's a lot of things going on with race. And uh, Joe Biden had some things to say about the great Satchel, Satchel Paige. Uh, pitcher, by the way, Satchel Paige pitched, I believe, till he was 57 uh, professionally. So, you know, we were praising Nolan Ryan because he pitched into his 40s. Satchel Paige was about to collect a Social Security check and was still pitching. Uh, but anyway, Joe Biden, who also is a senior, <laughs> Uh, had some things to say about Satchel Paige. So let's take a look at that. I know you're a little younger than I am, but, uh, you know, I've adopted the attitude of the great Negro at the time, pitcher in the Negro Leagues, went on to become a great pitcher in the pros into the Major League Baseball after Jackie Robinson. His name was Satchel Paige. I don't know why he thinks the Negro League wasn't professional. He said he went from the Negro League to the pros. Yeah. So I was like, what? The Negro League is professional. Right. I, I, like, it's kind of, a, kind of a weird statement among many weird statements <laughs> along the way. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's told that story like a dozen times, the Satchel Page story. It's meant, to get a, it's meant to get a laugh. Like We didn't play the whole thing. But it's basically Satchel Page saying, you know, it doesn't matter that I did this at 47. Uh, I'm as old as I feel that I am. And, like, and then the audience is always like kind of left confused. Like what, what's the story about exactly? He told this story to the Pope too. The Pope kept laughing like at every sentence because, because uh, they were translating it for him. They kept translating the entire story to the Pope and the Pope would laugh at every sentence because I think he was trying to be polite. And I just, I just, I just want Joe Biden to stop telling this story. Like just find another old timey folksy story you can tell. This one's just, you're, you've tried it with a bunch of different audiences. It's like Jerry Seinfeld kind of trying it out at these small clubs, it's just not working. Yeah, I gotta agree with that. Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. And again, one of the things he's been getting attacked on the right, and I think for the wrong reasons, I think this is one place where the right and their attacks on, you know, his cognitive abilities or whatever, I think it kind of comes in because it's like, the story doesn't go anywhere. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's literally like your, you know, your grandpa when he sits you on his lap and he tells you the story and you're like, yeah, but wait, where, what? He takes the, <laughs> he takes the scenic route, but you end up going right off a cliff at the end. Right, right, right. You know, I, I think, you know, uh, people not putting it in context, he clearly was flubbing what he was trying to say. He was trying <laughs> to say a great Negro league pitcher. Um, and he said a great Negro uh, pitcher in the Negro leagues or something he, he, he said, and people are like, let's just zero in on that one little part and make him, you know, say Joe Biden is racist. And it's like, come on, that doesn't really work. I mean, it does kind of pale in comparison to his old racist stuff. I mean, you know, remember when he yeah. said that his like, Republicans would put black people back in chains, <laughs> like, like, dude, are you serious right now? This is like real rhetoric. I yeah. Mean I mean, it was, you know, uh, again, a, a whole lot of hyperbole, um, <laughs> I think he he said. He told black things. people they're not black if they don't vote for him. <laughs> I yeah, like, I mean, uh, again, I, I'm you know I'm not going to defend the the soft racism of you know, or the or the diet racism of Joe Biden. Um, I'm also not going to defend you know the hard liquor racism uh, of some of the people in the Republican Party, including you know our former president. Which I, I'd say you know we go down a list. Um, of things that he said that were just completely unacceptable that it, you know, I think the thing that frustrates me is that there's all this defense of everything, some things that are indefensible, you know, like you can't defend some of the things that Trump said uh, that were racially biased and, you know, people still try to do it. Um, I'm definitely not going to defend. I mean, Joe Biden said something about he didn't want his kids growing up in a racial jungle. Or, or something like that. Uh, Joe Biden said a lot of things because he's a 78-year-old white dude 
and he's lived through a whole lot. I mean, he was probably alive when, I mean, he wasn't quite alive, but he was close to alive when Satchel Paige was pitching, you know? Um, so I, I think he's definitely, uh, he was alive before the, before Jackie Robinson broke the, broke the color barrier. Uh, that was 1947, and I think Joe Biden, what, 1945 or something like that? When he was born, he's 78, however however many years that is. Um, so at any rate, I definitely think that, you know, Joe Biden is like a lot of white people who I know where they're like, my, my uncle, he doesn't have racialized hate. But when he talks about race, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's kind of Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's trying to tell us a good story about Satchel Paige. Mm -hmm. And the story is just, it just doesn't work. It's a labor. It really is. He's got to, he just needs, I think Jen Psaki needs to get to him and say, hey, we need to, we need to switch out this uh, <laughs> yeah. anecdote. Let's find another story, a shorter <laughs> one, uh, and one that you can remember and get to the point and not flub. <laughs> Yeah. So um, also going on, we have uh, uh, for all of us dog owners, you a dog owner? Not right now. I have been when I was a kid. We, we had some dogs. Yeah, I'm actually I said us. I'm not actually a dog owner. So let, let me not say that. I play with my <laughs> neighbor's dog and then I'm like, I don't want to walk you get away. Um, but there there's an owner of a pit bull who has some questions about uh, an LAPD shooting of their mm. dog uh, with a pepper ball. So let's let's take a look at this. Do you live here? Where do you live at? I was visiting somebody at Vancouver. Oh. So I wasn't waiting here for anybody because I had, I couldn't run away running the dog. Okay. Well, we'll handle. You don't have to be here if awesome. you don't need to. Yeah, if so I don't need to, we're not gonna leave unless this dog is secured. Perfect. And that's what and I'm And if about. it's not secured, we'll get animal control out here or something. Okay, but, but there's uh, cars in the driveway, and we, I don't know if you got, you we, know, we, locked we'll, out we'll, that we'll figure it out. So, cool. Okay. okay. Thanks, Take care, miss. There he is. Get back, dude. Get back. Come here. Secured. Hey, your dog's gonna be secure, bro. Go secure your. Is this your dog? Go secure your dog right now, Mav. Go back inside with the baby, please. All right, so we're not dog owners, but you know we have some uh, empathy for for pets and and for pet owners. Uh, what? And we also understand that officers need to keep themselves safe. So, what, what was just your impression of of that video? I mean, just based on it, so. Here's here's what the report is claiming, just to kind of give you a setup. This is from NBC News 4 in uh, L.A. The LAPD um, released this video from their body cameras worn by their cops, and they say it was a vicious dog call in Winnetka that resulted in a pit bull being shot in the head with a beanbag round. You see that in that video. The department learned of news media reports where the resident called into question the officer's conduct during this call for service and alleged the beanbag discharge was not appropriate, the LAPD press release said. The department's reviewing all aspects of the incident, including a thorough review of the available body-worn video. They say the incident began about 2.30 p.m., this was last Thursday, when these officers responded to a vicious dog call uh, there in that neighborhood. The officers met with the reporting party, the person who made the call, who informed the officers of the dog that had aggressively chased down people who were walking in the area. So the report was that the dog was chasing people. So they approached the driveway, they said, in an effort to make contact with the occupants, the dog aggressively charged at the officers while barking. To protect themselves from the approaching dog, one officer filed a less lethal beanbag round, striking the dog on its head. All right, so what it sounds like, that sounds consistent with the video we just saw, yeah. Jason. My reaction when I was seeing the video, because that's really the first way I've kind of ingested this, is what the hell are they doing walking in that guy's driveway? So like you kind of think about like, okay, if you've got a dog and I know people who let their dogs run around in their yard 
And the dogs are either well-behaved enough to know they only stay on the property or they have the electric collars or whatever that keep them on the property. But I have neighbors like whose dogs, like I would assume would protect their house. So like if people came in the property and you're walking and the dog starts barking, that property belongs to that person and that dog. <laughs> like, so here, here's the thing though. Um, I'm going to kind of, you know, I, I agree with you, but I'm also going to kind of side with the officers only because they're saying that the dog was aggressively uh, approaching people walking through the neighborhood, not walking on his property, right? but walking through the neighborhood. So if the, if the dog was actually running off of the property, um, I think in that case, the owner, as a police officer, you have to approach the owner. And they were trying to tell him to secure his dog. Um, I understand that's his property, but the, the dog apparently was threatening people off of the property. So they, in that case, they need to talk to the, to the owner. My question is why, when you see the dog there and it's unleashed and maybe could be aggressive, why you wouldn't call animal control. This is again, this goes back to that idea that sometimes we expect police to handle every situation rather than getting people who are trained specifically for the situation. Now you've heard me talk about this a lot with mental health crises and situations like that. And yes, police uh, in some cases need to be present Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure somebody's not hurt. Same thing maybe in this situation, but why wouldn't there also be a call? Because they kept saying, we're going to call animal control if, and it's like, why doesn't the officer seeing that dog say, that's not really a safe situation for me. I'm going to call animal control so we can approach safely. You know, something tells me the beanbag feature of this story tells me that they have protocols for dealing with animals. So it's like the fact that that dude was even carrying a beanbag gun suggests to me that that's how they, right. they deal with these vicious dog calls. Like just in case if that dog even tries to run up on somebody, including one of the officers, we've got a less than lethal means to knock the dog back. And boy, that dog, he took a shot to the head. That, that pit bull just whipped around and was like, yeah, I'm not interested in anymore. Yeah. Not going to, not going to be aggressive anymore. So it worked in that way. But I guess just just that initial reaction I had is like, man, you're like storming up their driveway. The dog is apparently on its own property and then the dog approaches you and then you shoot it. It's like, I I understand entirely what you're saying. It's like, hey, if the dog's actually running around the neighborhood, like that owner has got to get that dog under control. It doesn't matter. You know, you can't you can't have your dog just like just like biting at people, chasing after people, making them scared. People get I mean rightly people get real scared if a dog's chasing after them absolutely um, i get i get scared yeah you know and i'll tell you like um a dog we've seen police officers who've used lethal force on people's dogs right and so i i actually you know them shooting him with the beanbag probably that dog's gonna have a bruise you know probably had a little bit of pain but that dog's gonna survive and is probably not seriously hurt Hopefully not. Um, so I'm I'm really glad that they used a non-lethal weapon on that dog. And so the dog owner knows, hey, I got to tie my dog up to keep my dog safe. Yeah. And not only that, but to keep people in the community safe. If the dog, if the call is that the dog was vicious and was threatening people in the neighborhood. Um, now, again, threatening people in the neighborhood can mean a lot of different things. It can mean barking from your own property, which uh-huh. I think you know, is a different situation. This Just is be courteous why- to your damn neighbors. That's all. It's like, if your dog's going crazy in the yard for hours, like figure it out, man. Like you have neighbors who, who like, you know, you should be courteous to. Yeah. I mean, I agree, but I, I, I also think um, that you have to understand that dogs bark. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. If for the sure. dog isn't chasing after you, um and isn't like really threatening to your children or something like that um and and that that's the other thing is you know kids walk home from school and all that you can't have dogs looking like they're they're threatening and Mm -hmm. and could harm somebody so i think the police um i'm not upset with the police from from the what we know i'm not upset with 
I do like uh, what the police did. I do like how the one cop was like, get back. He was yelling to the dog as if the dog speaks English. Right. Like, right. I'm like, you think get back is a part of the uh, part of the, his repertoire? Like his. Well, uh, should, you know, should he have said sit, roll over? Like, yeah, I don't know. Like stay, like pick something you think a dog might actually understand. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, the dog owner should have been the one yelling stay and sit and, and all of those things. True. And again, I think uh, the police in that situation, I, I, and again, I, you know, maybe in the comments out there, you guys can tell us, although I don't read the comments, I'm gonna be honest with you, but uh, maybe you guys can tell everyone else what uh, police protocol is if we have any law enforcement officers, maybe um, why they didn't call animal control to approach the dog with them. You should have used some head scratches, just like get up there. <laughs> just start scratching the dog. Good, good boy. Relax, right, little guy. Right. <laughs> relax. Uh, I wonder if they understand relax. All right. So Bill de Blasio, uh, again, someone who has taken heat from both the left and the right for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But there are these unvaxxed workers who are really upset about the vaccine mandate. And so they started throwing garbage on his lawn. So let's take a look and watch that. Got a little present for the mayor. That's what's gonna happen. Monday, there was 12, 15,000 real New Yorkers that were out there that are sick of this. These are the real New Yorkers. Without them, this city is nothing, okay? Let this shit happen. This is insanity. This is insanity. And I plead with the mayor, go back to the testing. Everything was fine and safe with the testing. This vaccine mandate is gonna kill this city because there's a lot of men and women that work for this city that are not getting vaxxed, whether it's religious or health or immunity. It's ridiculous. And this mayor is so screwed up he hates this city, and we all know how much he hates this city, but he's not going to realize he's going to go down in history as the worst mayor in the history of the world when this city... thoughts about that but uh you know obviously i want to get your thoughts first people are pissed i I don't know i mean there's that i don't know what de blasio expected like if anybody's gonna react and react kind of with like in a matter of fact way you kind of expect new yorkers to do it and, and that's what happened i guess the downside to this particular form of protest yeah it does it does throw trash in the yard of gracie mansion as a, as a public demonstration of how sick everybody is of de Blasio. Sad part is that it's going to be more New York state government workers are going to have to clean all that up. Like, the, right. like if you're going to, like, it's not de Blasio is not going to go out there and start, you know, lifting garbage bags. They're going to be just, you know, more city workers who have to, to clean up the mess, but the message is definitely being sent Jason. Yeah. Well, so I have a lot of thoughts about it. Number one, um, I think the operative word is sick. Uh, that you used. And I think, you know, you want to keep people from getting sick. And I remember when people were saying that 15,000 NYPD uh, officers were not going to comply. And it turns out the number is 34 uh, out of the largest police department in the entire country. And it may be in the world, uh, but certainly for a locality, but certainly in the country, Mm -hmm. uh, the largest police department, and they only had 34 Uh, police officers who refused to comply with the vaccine mandate uh, that didn't get some sort of exemption. Um, I think the the thing that I I found interesting about this video was the one gentleman who's like, these are real New Yorkers. That guy, first he's like, I plead with the mayor. 
And then he's like, he's the worst mayor. He hates the city. I'm like, if you're trying to plead with the mayor, that's probably not the best language to use to get across to him. Um, and throwing trash on his yard is not the best way to go about it either. Uh, I think that you can certainly make a strong argument that, um, you know, much of the city is, is vaxxed now, uh, that we're coming out on the other side of the pandemic, um, that now there are medications that can treat, that should be approved very soon, that, that can treat uh, people with COVID and keep them from getting hospitalized. So I think that you can make an argument that, hey, maybe we should lift this, at least in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, if, if things are good, we should be able to lift this vaccine mandate. Um, and I think that he could totally probably, you know, get union leadership or whatever to have a meeting with the mayor yeah. and, and negotiate it. But throwing garbage on his lawn probably isn't the best way. You know, we, you and I, I think last episode talked about ways people protest. And I'm not so sure that that's the most effective means. I'll, like I said, I won't tell them that it's the wrong way, but I just don't think that it's the most effective way. Now, I also wonder if these were, let's say, Black Lives Matter protesters in Louisville, Kentucky, and they went to Daniel Cameron's house mm -hmm. and they threw garbage on his lawn, how that would be portrayed by the media, particularly the right-leaning media. Would they say you know, hey, these people are frustrated. Would they empathize in that way? Or would they say, hey, this is turning violent. This is getting, over, you know, this is going overboard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, they're destroying property. Uh, I just wonder, you know, what the reaction would be. I have, a, I have an idea, but um, something tells me that there would be much less sympathy and empathy uh, for people who protested in that way. It's possible. I mean, you know, I, it's, it, you know, as you, as you know, it's a hypothetical, it would depend sure. on like how legitimate the media outlet that covered it probably considered the claim. Right. It's like, so like, you know, is this a real thing or is this just divisive nonsense that, that obviously that plays a role in the way left and right cover events like this. Um, but I just think that in terms of like real things, like it is a big deal that you have thousands of New Yorkers who say that they don't want to be vaccinated uh, and that they're being compelled to by their government. Um, you know, Eric Adams, the incoming mayor of New York, has uh, said that he intends to revisit the vaccine mandates when he takes office. Uh, but like the truth is, like what you just said a moment ago, the idea that like, hey, maybe things are improving. We get to the point where the vaccine mandates aren't as necessary. I just don't see that happening. I, I feel like that there's just too many politicians who've decided that, no, we're not actually going to give you a court, like a, a, a route out. It's going to stay this way and it's going to stay this way forever. Like we'll always have a vaccine mandate, regardless of whether or not COVID's running around. And um, I don't think that's wise. I think, well, I think people should be given a sense of when we hit certain metrics, then this is when we're going to back off. And we get very little of that from government officials. Well, I, I hope, I think we can get to a point where there's no uh, COVID vaccine mandate. I mean, we do, again, vaccine mandates are not new. We've had vaccine mandates. You and I have been subject to vaccine mandates as have if those guys are real New Yorkers and they've actually gone to New York City public schools, they've been vaccinated for something. So vaccine mandates aren't necessarily new. I hope that we can get rid of the COVID vaccine mandate, just like we don't mandate the flu shot. You know, um, I hope we can get to COVID, get COVID to the point where few enough people are getting seriously ill that this isn't necessarily considered uh, an illness of epidemic proportions. And I think we can do that. And part of that is going to be, um, at least in the short term, uh, while these uh, medicines are being developed, I think the short term is is high levels of vaccination and they're trying to push that right now, but that doesn't mean that it has to be a permanent thing. And I don't know if I've, I've heard of any politician saying that, you know, no matter what, we're always going to have COVID being, uh, you know, mandated, you know, COVID vaccines being mandated, just like we don't mandate a flu shot. The flu shot is a great thing to get. Um, but we don't mandate that. And I don't, and I think COVID will be treated the same way in the future. Yeah. Although I do, I, I have seen some American businesses have started mandating flu shots. Um, 
as a result of all of this. Like, oh, well, we're mandating the vaccines. We should start mandating flu shots too. Um, Anyway, it just is, it's a slippery slope and it's one that we should constantly be pressing our government on. Like, hey, like, when does this end? And, you know, although you haven't heard anybody say it's going to be here forever, um, we also haven't heard the inverse. This is when we're going to relent. And uh, right. I think um, the American people are owed that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I would, I'm assuming that we're going to relent when, you know, the pandemic is under control. And I, I'm very hopeful about that. I, I'm hopeful about all of this. I'm hopeful about the economy. I'm hopeful about all of it. Me too. Although, you know, I saw, I saw a report this morning. Let's see if I can give you this headline that the most vaccinated state in the country, I believe, uh, now has the highest cases of the pandemic that it's ever had. So it's uh, Vermont. Yeah. The, the state is Vermont. It's the most vaccinated state in the country. Um, and it's it's seeing a surge now in actual transmission. So, but you know, trans, I, transmission or hospitalization? Because transmission. I think the big thing is hospitalization. That's that's where our resources get taxed. That's where people die. Um, I, I think that you know vaccines yep. definitely lower transmission. And I also think that a lot of people haven't gotten the booster yet, um, which I think will also help us when once we start getting people the booster. You start getting. Uh, the young people start getting vaccinated. I think you're going to see a lot of that go down. And, and even with that, um, I really believe, like I've said, I know I've said this a million times, but the reason I think we're coming out on the other end is because there's no, you know, we're not like pointing to Singapore or to India and saying there's a new variant that is ravaging, you know, that country and people are dying. And, you know, I, I think the fact that we're not seeing that is a really good sign um, that this thing is not going to, I think we're always going to have COVID, but I, I don't think that it'll ever be, you know, hopefully to the point that it is right now. And now we're, you know, as, as we've already stated, they're going to have some treatments for it to keep people out of the hospital. And I think, you know, we can start getting rid of those mandates yeah. at that point. I hope so. I hope you're right. So um, speaking of that, uh, my man, Adam Schiff, you know, um, he had a little, little slip up, uh, and up being the operative word there. Um, you know, he had some things to say about, I believe about the insurrection, but he focused on a couple of syllables more than the others. So let's check that out. We learned that the Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort was giving internal polling data, campaign polling data to Russian intelligence while Russian intelligence was helping the Trump and campaign. And to be clear, he was fired halfway through the campaign. Well, he may have been fired. Yeah. But the, the effort to get Russian help continued, and even beyond the effort to get Russian help, but you the may president have spread also Russian disinformation get... yourself for years by promoting this. I think that's what Republicans and what people who entrusted you as the Intel Committee chair are so confused about your culpability in all of this. Well, I, I completely disagree with your premise. Uh, it's one thing to say allegations should be investigated, and they were. It's another to say that we should have foreseen in advance that some people were lying to Christopher Steele, which is impossible, of course, to do. But, but let's not use that as a smokescreen to somehow shield Donald Trump's culpability for inviting Russia to help him in the election, which they did, for trying to coerce Ukraine into helping him in the next election, mm. which he did, uh, into inciting an insurrection, insurrection, which he did. Um, none of that is undercut. None of that serious misconduct is in any way diminished by the fact that people lied to Christopher Steele. I have one question for you. I know that you are someone who is on the right. Um, has Donald Trump ever incited an erection for you? <laughs> uh, I'm proud to say no is the answer to that question. Uh, that's pretty funny. Adam Schiff, um, he's not the first to make this particular verbal slip up. Uh, there was the CNN host, last name Berman. His first name slips uh, my mind right now, but he does a morning show at CNN. Uh, he did this very same thing on air and then uh, quickly went back and said insurrection. And then Chuck Schumer said it on the floor of the United States Senate. He was a little bit more uh, aware of his mistake and he kind of stumbles a little bit and recovers and says insurrection. Kind of really takes the energy out of a uh, of a passionate speech <laughs> when, when you all of a sudden say erection in lieu of 
insurrection. But you know what they say, erections have consequences. And uh, the consequences <laughs> include us playing video of you saying that out loud. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, as any teenage boy will tell you, you know, sometimes erections come at inopportune moments. <laughs> and uh, that that seemed to be one for for um, for Adam Schiff. I think, um, you know, it's interesting that they were having this this really, you know, uh, cool back and forth. I actually kind of enjoyed that that discussion that they were having. Um, but that was know. Morgan. For, for those who don't know, that was Morgan Ortegas, former Trump State Department official who was filling in on The View as the conservative panelist this week. And that's when Adam Schiff and, and her got into an exchange. And it was really it was wrapped up in that 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 John Durham had come out and issued an indictment of one of the really the top source for information into the Christopher Steele dossier that the Clinton campaign put together on Trump. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, it was an interesting discussion. Um, uh, I think they both made some really good points, but of course, uh, Adam Schiff with his with his slip up, you know, and, and we like to call it, you know, he said erection. We like to call it a shiffy, uh, as <laughs> as Vince Colonnais, uh coined earlier, uh, or it, I, I like to call it a shift erection, mm -hmm. uh, as as opposed to a stiff one. I think it was a, a, you know, it was a funny little slip up um, in a really serious conversation. Um, so I enjoyed that, that clip. Yeah. Yeah. I just, anything that makes Adam Schiff uncomfortable amuses me. And, and that, and that probably was one of those moments. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, the prime minister of New Zealand has been praised by some uh, for uh, her actions on COVID. She's been, she was very strict from the very beginning. Uh, and now she is starting to uh, sing an even different tone and even an even stricter tone on vaccination. So let's mm -hmm. take a look at what she had to say. So you basically said this is going to be like, well, it's almost like I, you probably don't see it like this, the two different classes of people. If you're vaccinated or if you're unvaccinated, you have all these rights. If you are vaccinated. That is what it is. So, yep. Yeah. Can you describe as you were previously hoping not to be able to, not to have to do that, I guess, when we still mm. look like we could maintain elimination across the whole country. I guess that has now changed because. I think it was less, less because necessarily of the elimination determining that and more because we, of course, uh, maintained and actually we have managed very high vaccination rates generally without the use of certificates. But actually what it's become clear to me is that they're not just a tool to drive up vaccines. They're a tool for confidence. People who have been vaccinated will want to know that they're around other vaccinated people. Uh, they'll want to know that they're in a safe environment. It is a way that we can give confidence to those who are going back into hospitality or events. Uh, and so that is something that I think we should offer to people who have been vaccinated, that confidence that we're doing everything we can to keep them safe and that they can come back out and start enjoying those things safely. She answered the question. It was like the reporter. It was kind of interesting, kind of the, the exchange there. The reporter says, you probably don't want to describe it this way, that you're creating two classes of people, vaccinated and unvaccinated, and the vaccinated have rights and the unvaccinated don't. And she's like, no, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. damn, like Yo, she I, just went for it. She, I like that. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I mean, I like that because she kept it real. I, you know it I mean? is keeping it real. That's it wasn't true. political. It was it was. And, and that's what people liked about Trump was that he, he said, I want a total shutdown of Muslims coming in the country. Most people would have put that in really political, political terms. And he just said what it was. I think it's the same thing there. <laughs> she just yeah, was like, yeah, that's what it is. That's and that's, and, and yeah, I respected kind of, that. But unlike Trump, like she's actually doing what she said she would do. She's creating like two different, like she's creating medical segregation in her country. There is a completely different uh, array of rights that you're entitled to if you get vaccinated than if you don't, you know, with Trump, he, like they come into office, they don't even ban Muslims. They ban like, I think it was seven specific countries that were on, well, they, they, that's on, they on Obama's terror list. That's because they got sued and they failed and lost in court and they had to redo it. So it started out as a Muslim ban and then it, and then it failed and they had to redo it in order to, to pass legal muster. 
Yeah, so I don't, that, that, I, th- I thought that they added some extra countries actually, or something. I, my memory is not the same as yours, but regardless, yeah. that was not in the end, it was not what they did. And um, my only point is like, you know, I normally I would watch a clip like this and be like, God, thank God I live in the United States. <laughs> but that's unfortunately you, you can't actually have that reaction to that clip because in the U.S., we've kind of built the same system. It's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to we are giving an array of rights to people on the basis of which medicine they received and then depriving everyone else of um, those same rights. And, you know, we you know, you and I just talked about what's happening in New York. You know, people are losing their livelihoods on the basis of these declarations. And that's awful. And so we should figure out a way to like find it's okay to look at things with nuance and not, you know, um, come in with like, this is the, this is the solution to everything mandatory vaccines or else you don't get to participate in society. There's gotta be a middle ground. Well, I think, you know, in particular, New York is a, is a really interesting place. And I think first responders are in a different position. And you and I have discussed this before, you know, first responders, and this is the the misunderstanding that many people think about police officers. Police officers don't really stop crime. That's not what they do. The 90% of what cops do is help people, or at least that's what they're supposed to do. So if you are someone who is, uh, you know, had a slip and fall or someone, someone passes out, the first person that's probably going to show up there is a police officer. And to think that they could potentially uh, get people sicker uh, when they come in such close contact with the public is, and also to to protect them so that we don't have massive numbers of police officers uh, in the ER uh, because they've got COVID. I think, you know, there are certain measures that needed to be taken, particularly in a city like New York, that's so incredibly crowded where people live in such close quarters. Um, I think that drastic measures need to be taken because we've seen what COVID did to New York City. Like, I think people are forgetting how bad, uh, how badly COVID just tackled that city in the, in the early days. Um, and first responders, medical staff, nurses, um, it just keeps the public safer and them safer if they get vaccinated. Now, again, there are some um, who may have some sort of exemption, uh, whether it's religious. I'm not aware of any major religions that say that you can't get vaccinated. But so I suppose, you know, maybe some belief systems, you know, says thou shall not get vaccinated. Well, there are and, some people who, who for years just not been vaccinated at all in any vaccines on a religious basis. I think uh, Christian, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be mistaken here. So if I am, and may, maybe we can check this real, you know, in real time, but Christian mm-hmm. scientists, uh, they came out and said they're okay with vaccination, you know, and, you know, they're, they're pretty anti, I don't want to say, I don't want to offend any Christian scientists now but they generally try to stay away from vaccines modern medicine. and medicine right mm-hmm. but uh if i'm not mistaken i feel like i read in the christian science monitor that they that christian scientists were okay with vaccination with covid could be mistaken i don't know if you can fact check that live um so that because that would have been the one belief system that i would have thought I remember I had a classmate who was a Christian scientist once Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it it was really scary because she had epilepsy. So, you know, she would have seizures, you know, in class and, you know, she wasn't. This is our, here's a report from Kaiser Health News. This is from September of this year. It says no major denomination opposes vaccination. Even the Christian science church, whose adherents rely largely on prayer rather than medicine, does not impose an official policy. It counsels, quote, respect for public health authorities and conscientious obedience to the laws of the land, including those requiring vaccination. That's what mm. uh, Kaiser Health reports. Right. So that that's, you know, I, I'm not aware of it, but I, I, you know, even with that said, there may be some belief system. And I believe in, you know, our country is partially uh, built on religious freedom. So there may be some, mm-hmm. some beliefs that 
you know, vaccination or injections or something like that is, is against, um, you know, against that belief system. And I think we have to respect that. So people who get a religious uh, exemption, people who get other kinds of important exemptions, you know, what was it? Aaron Rodgers said he's allergic immunized. to something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said he was immunized, but he also said he was allergic to something in mRNA vaccines never said what that was but you know if he's if you're allergic you've got some sort of allergy it's going to make you sicker then don't you know then there's got to be some sort of alternative but for people who just like you know i don't want to um then it's your choice to to perhaps find another job there was a cool report this week from the wall street journal regeneron reports that monoclonal antibodies you know that they've been used in a therapeutic basis so basically if you get sick they'll use monoclonal antibodies to help cure you you can actually uh according to the company they've been doing testing and they've discovered that um you can use it prophylactically and so for people who are immunocompromised or people who who whose doctors think that the vaccine is not appropriate for them Mm -hmm. they say monoclonal antibodies might be really good and these are these are these are lab created uh, forms of natural antibodies to COVID. And, um, and if you get them, apparently Regeneron says its data has been phenomenal. Now, as you've pointed out many times, this is an expensive treatment. So, you know, for someone to say, I'm not getting the vaccine, I'm going to go with an alternative. It actually, the FDA hasn't approved it for prophylactic use yet, but the data is very promising. And in other words, like people could potentially be in a situation soon where they could just forego the vaccines and actually just get the monoclonal antibodies. Uh, if the right. Regeneron, if the Regeneron data is what it says, what they say it is, so kind of interesting and, and another piece of optimism yeah. that we've got more science developing on this. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I, I then I wonder what it is about the vaccines that you don't trust that all of a sudden you trust the monoclonal antibodies. Like mm-hmm. what you know, I, I understand people who are like, you know, my body, my choice. I don't want any injections of anything. Right. right. You know, I get that, but if you're you're like, no, I'm not going to take that, you know, vaccine, but I'll take that stuff that, you know, neither one do I really fully understand. Yes. You know? <laughs> like that's, that's the thing that I, I'm not understanding, but I, I think, Hey, I'm all for monoclonal antibodies. And if they can be used prophylactically, I think that's, that's excellent. Yes. Let's bring it all in. You know, if you don't want to take this and you can take that, then go for it. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't fully understand the logic, but I guess theoretically, it's like, you know, one of the reasons why um, I've been so up on natural immunity and the benefits of it, for one, I had COVID, so I I studied it a lot. Uh, And then I would talk to people like Dr. Marty McCary at Johns Hopkins. And one of the things that he would point out routinely is, you know, with with the vaccines, you kind of target like the spike proteins, like very specific things that the vaccine targets to disable COVID. Whereas if you get natural immunity, your body sort of recognizes all of the elements of the virus. Like it, it has a kind of a holistic understanding of the virus, including when the virus mutates. So that if you face it again in the future, your body basically recognizes even the variants and has defenses built for it. Um, that's a cool, that's a cool feature of natural immunity. And that's the kind of thing, presumably that would be conferred by monoclonal antibodies, but I'd have to ask a guy like a Dr. Marty McCary to assess. Right. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I've that I've read about natural immunity that well, first of all, they're saying that the vaccine protection. So at least the CDC is saying that the vaccine protection is stronger. Right. And the CDC little, said that a couple of weeks ago. It's a little bit longer, um, or a little more predictable in terms of how long the protection will last. Mm-hmm. But I I think if you've got natural immunity, you know, you got COVID two weeks ago, then we shouldn't force you to get you know, a vaccine, at least for several weeks, because you probably protected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I agree with you there about, you know, about natural immunity, and there is science to back it. And we should be be following the science. Um, I also want to say that this episode of Vince and Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Goldco. Something that's really interesting, uh, it's caused a big stir uh, on social media and eventually in Congress is uh, Rep. Paul Gosar and some of his actions on social media. Um, Just in case you missed it, we interviewed one of his competitors in the race for Arizona Four, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's uh, Ms. Delina DeSanto, who is also a a nurse and from that community, 
So definitely check that interview out if you haven't gotten a chance. It was riveting. It was great. Uh, Vince really got into some really good questions uh, for um, this candidate. So definitely check that out, that interview with Delina DeSanto. Now, back to the incumbent right now, um, Paul Gosar. Uh, let's check out what, what it is that he did and said. Here's the story. An Arizona congressman, Paul Gosar, a Republican, has sent out online a photoshopped animated video. The video depicts him clearly killing Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and attacking the president. We are not airing the video on this broadcast. We are going to show you a screen grab selected from it so you can see the nature of the video without further amplifying the imagined violence. AOC is on the left. That is after she is struck down by what is clearly the Gosar character. He's in the middle as some sort of fighter. You see him there. And then on the right, there is the attack on the president there with two swords. We're talking about a sitting member of Congress and the president of the United States. Frequent viewers of The Beat will know we do a lot of coverage about free speech, which includes all kinds of rhetoric. But it is also a crime to encourage assassination or violence against the president. The courts, not the news, will figure out exactly where these lines are, but this is really something in the context of all of the rising mounting white supremacist violence in the United States. This is a MAGA loyalist who has some broad links to alleged white nationalists and who praised the January 6th insurrectionists, which include now convicted criminals. AOC calling Gosar creepy and going to the boss, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, noting he'll face, quote, no consequences because that person, Leader McCarthy, cheers him on. Okay, what do you think about Paul Gosar and his anime video of him killing uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and then uh, going after the president? Do you think this is like Secret Service level stuff or is this just silly? Uh, I don't think it's silly. Um, I don't think it's silly. I, I think if someone at my job shared uh, a video of them, you know, killing me, uh -huh. um, I would be outraged and I would call for that person to be fired. Uh -huh. You know, and, and that ain't cancel culture. That's, yo, I don't feel comfortable <laughs> working in the same environment with that person. I guess you know I, mean? I, I appreciate Even that. Even if I they mean... think it's some sort of joke, unless we we kind of shook on it or we're homies and they did that, like, hey, I'm going to slay Dr. Nichols, you yeah. know, fine. But if we're not cool and you do this, like, I hate this guy and I disagree with him. So here's a video of me slaying him. <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, at my, you know, if you're just some random person on Twitter, you're some daily caller follower that doesn't like me and you want to do that, fine. But yeah. if you're a colleague, I, I think that's over the line. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's, prob it's probably ill-advised. I, I, I watched it. So when I first saw the headlines on this, it was like, Paul Gosar tweets video of himself killing AOC. And I was like, damn, he tweeted a video of himself killing AOC. That's crazy. Like, what, what kind of video is this? So I clicked through. And then you see it's like this, like, crappily Photoshopped, like, anime series like you know people running around with swords and monsters and the whole thing just seems like super goofy to me it reminded he's a goofy me dude i mean it, it reminded me of this guy you remember when trump tweeted the video of himself body slamming the cnn logo at a wwe match and then we got like a, a news cycle for a week about how trump was advocating violence against cnn and that was god that was so stupid I mean, it was just a meme video of a WWE match, which itself, by the way, is fake. It's not, I mean, it's obviously genuinely physical. By the way, for all of our WWE viewers out there, just want to be clear, I understand there's athletics involved. I'm not, I'm not disputing that, but, but uh, it's, it's, it's entertainment. Not UFC. It's not it's, UFC, it's entertainment. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, like the, the whole thing is like, here's my, here's my thing, Jason. I see stuff like this and I'm like, okay, is the media just trying to whip me up on something about like this? Or does this really deserve our time and attention? That's so, the kind of the basic calculation I do with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. And there were a lot of Trump tweets 
that I think should have gotten attention. Um, and that wasn't one of them. I, I actually thought that was like kind of, it was kind of dumb. So, you know, <laughs> he's slamming a CNN logo. Shoot, I'd, I would tweet something if someone made a video of me slamming a CNN or an MSNBC or a Fox logo. Yeah, like if you went on Fox. and you I think just, that'd like, be funny. If you went on Fox and you like straight up dominated the host. And like, it was like so clear. And then right after it was over, you tweeted a photo of yourself body slamming the Fox logo. That would be, honestly, I would think that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a problem um, with that. I mean, there were lots of other things that he tweeted, you know, retweeting white nationalists and all that. Like there were a whole lot of things that, that Donald Trump tweeted that I think were, were worthy of the news cycle. That wasn't one of them, but I think, you know, there's some sort of rivalry with CNN and Trump and that's where that went. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think Paul Gosar's thing is a little bit different here. Um, this is a woman who has gotten death threats, um, who has been threatened before. I bet you Gosar has too, to be and, honest. Yeah, probably. Um, I think it's a little different. Again, you as someone who's always like men and women are different. I, you know, I generally don't agree with that, but I, I do think um, threatening this 20, 20 some odd, or now she's probably 30 year old woman is different than threatening Paul Gosar. I, I, Hey, some people will say I'm sexist for that. I'll take it. You know, I, I just think that that's a little different, but still I totally agree with you. I, I just think, again, I just, I, I do think it's bad. I know you agree with me. I, it's obviously stupid and, um, insane and should be investigated when people threaten the lives of, of anybody, uh, for, for no reason. Um, but these are people who have power. This is what I'm talking about. Like these are people who are high profile who have power. So I'd imagine, you know, ghost stars receive death threats. Like without talking to him, I'm sure he has. Uh, but anyway, I just think it's a cartoon. That's my point. I, I saw the, the, the headlines I thought really oversold what I was about to encounter. Yeah. I, I mean, how else would he show himself killing someone? I mean, I guess you could do it on a movie. <laughs> like you could put your head and he could shoot somebody or stab somebody like that. Um, but either way, I, I think it was um, like if someone, like I said, if one of my colleagues did that, I, that I know that we don't get along, uh -huh. I would have real issues with it. And I would certainly go to the dean's office or wherever and say, look, you can't let this slide, you know? And in addition, with uh, Ocasio-Cortez, um, and the fact that Paul Gosar, as was stated, very broad, but certainly has broad connections um, to white nationalists and Holocaust deniers, uh, you know, I, and his, by the way, his own siblings call him a white nationalist. So that's not me. That's not, oh, Dr. Nichols makes everything about race and everything about religion and anti-Semitism. That's not me. That's his own siblings, his brothers and sisters, his blood siblings say he's a white supremacist. That's the way they describe it. It's a very uncomfortable Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. For some reason, I think he doesn't get, he doesn't get an invitation to the family uh, gatherings, but you know, they oppose him. They think he's, he's off the rocker, um, but he's popular in his district. He does have a lot of support. I was looking at some other reporting where the people in Prescott and other parts of Arizona, mm -hmm. uh, you know, very red, very MAGA areas support him, despite the fact that he's, you know, uh, talks to Nick Fuentes and a lot of the, the Holocaust deniers and, and all of that. You would think, you know, the right that says that they support Israel and all that, they would not be with Holocaust deniers. One of the reasons that you have Israel is because of how horrible the Holocaust was. But, um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, this guy should be censured. And I wonder what would happen, again, hypothetical, um, if you had someone like Ilhan Omar uh, had shared a, a video of her killing Nancy Mace or whomever, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wonder what would happen then. I think the right would be up in arms even if it were a cartoon. Um, and you know what? In that particular case, I would agree with them. I'd be like, this is overboard. You got to censure her or she's got to get some sort of punishment. And we've got to roundly reject that because that's not what I send people to Congress for.
Um, so I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed by how people have tried to explain it away. Yeah, I haven't seen many people try to explain it away, honestly. I, I've just seen a lot of people angry yeah. about it. I clicked through it. I was like, oh, I didn't realize there was such a crappy. That's actually fair. Crappy Photoshop job. Yeah, that, that's actually fair. I think that maybe not um, explain it away, but saying nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that's worse. You know what I mean? <laughs> like people who are like, you know, yeah. like Kevin McCarthy, not even addressing it. There's probably um, some thought that's like, why focus so much on like a backbench congressman? It's like, you know, that, 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 that I would honestly, if I had to assess like what, what the impulse among some of the selection bias might be on the right, it's like, okay, guy's a lunatic. Who cares? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how does yeah. this affect like a normal person's life? Yeah, but um, I think lunatics, <laughs> lunatics are a problem. Like, they, we shouldn't have lunatics. I know if, if we're doing this show. Yeah. And, you know, there's one lunatic that is a part of this show, Richie McGinnis. I've been trying to get rid of this guy forever. And I you can't, can't get, get rid, rid of, of him. You can't get you rid know? of him. I've been trying to get with the boss. I've been like, look, get rid of Richie McGinnis. Yeah. The guy's a lunatic. Jason schedules meetings for, for certain times. He tells Richie they're at completely different times. Right. Somehow Richie finds us anyway. He just yeah. keeps coming back. He's like a boomerang. Right, right. Except for Logan, man. Logan's a great guy. Logan, shout out to you. Mad love for Logan. Um, even though he's always like harassing me, I'm about to like block his number. He's like, did you send your video yet? Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we've reached the portion of the show where we're giving call outs and insults to the people who are involved in helping produce it. Thank you guys for that. Yeah. And also, um, I want to shout out uh, Daily Caller Live with Joe Bob. He's doing great stuff over there. Great stuff over there. Um, and then, uh, of course, the hooks, the David Hookstead show. That man, he just cleans up every week with awesome Hooksteadian takes on the news. And then finally, if you haven't seen it yet, please check out Jorge Ventura's cartel doc on to get an update on what's going on in California as the cartels from countries around the planet. It's not just the Mexican cartels, it's the Chinese, Albanians. They're taking over and establishing these illegal grow operations up and down the West Coast that are wow. bleeding the communities they go into dry. It's a story that's receiving almost no coverage. Make sure to check it out. That's carteldoc.com. Uh, Jorge Ventura has done awesome stuff there. Yeah, no, Jorge's the man. Um, I'm definitely, I haven't checked it out yet, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that part of my weekend viewing. Hopefully you guys are gonna view Vince and Jason Save the Nation and, and continue to follow us. All seven of you, we really appreciate you. Oh, One yeah. of you being the, Richie McGinnis. The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and you can check us out uh, on any podcast platform, of course, YouTube and Facebook Watch. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. Uh, we love all of it. We love engaging with you guys and we love being here for you. So hopefully we'll be able to continue to do this for quite a while. Thank you so much, Vince. Thank you to all our producers. Peace.